This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with us and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Before we get to the show, I just want to mention a few things. Initial Ascent Packs, they're awesome. I used a 2K all last season. I'm still using it now for stuff. Uh, I'm going to be using it for uh, training, for uh, prepping for my hunt and getting some miles in with some, uh, some weight on my back. And I uh, just recently picked up a 6K, and it's going to be awesome as well. Plan on using it on my elk hunt along with the 2K if I'm doing some day hunts or something and having a base camp. But uh, if I'm packing on my back and going in there, depending on where I'm at, I'm going to be using that 6K. Uh, Dennis and Joe are amazing people. What's awesome about that company is you can reach out to them, and they're the ones who are going to answer your call and actually talk to you about their product. And you're going to even get a handwritten note from them thanking you for your purchase and uh, wishing you luck on that hunt. And I just find that is super awesome and amazing in this day and age to have somebody that does that for you. And uh, actually, handwrites a note for you is just amazing. And uh, on top of that, it's an American-made product. And one thing about this podcast is, and myself, is just that anything that's American-made that I can support or get behind and it's a quality product, I'm going to talk about it. This is not a paid promotion. I'm honestly just talking to you about an amazing pack. So uh, check them out. If, if you don't have one or you're looking for a pack, give, give them a try. Uh, you'll like it for sure. And then on top of that, we're going to talk about TreelineAcademy.net. TreelineAcademy.net is the most comprehensive e-scouting course ever, ever made. Mark Livesey is just an amazing, amazing wealth of knowledge, and he's willing to share that with everybody. So uh, check that out and see what's going on there with that. Use promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20% on sign up. It's awesome. And uh, actually, it's not 20%. It's 20 bucks. Save yourself $20 off a of sign up. Then the next one I want to talk about is Basemap. Basemap app with their hunt data, the the online mapping system for e-scouting, setting waypoints, smart markers. Uh, so you have all your hunt data on the wind and anything as long as you have a cell signal. It's absolutely amazing. There's so much more that's coming out. They've updated their offline maps, so they're way, way, way faster than they used to be, which I know a lot of people were actually kind of complaining about that, but now they're lightning fast. I've downloaded them, used them. It's awesome. On top of that, they've got some new updates that are coming out that are just going to blow you away. Can't talk about them yet, but we will be talking about them. So check them out. Use promo code PC25. Save yourself 25% on sign up, only on the website, not on the app. And with that being said, let's get to our show. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Mike Hearn. And uh, Mike, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, what do you want to know? <laughs> Just tell the people who you are and uh, what you do, man. What's your passion? 
So uh, my name is Mike Hearn. I uh, currently live out in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm stationed at Fort Carson. Um, I'm still in the Army for five more years, then hopefully going to work for Aaron Snyder at Kafaru. Um, but uh, my main passion or, or driving is probably bow hunting elk. Um, I do a little bit of writing on the side for Black Rifle Coffee and photography. Um, but yeah, all of that is to hopefully end up with a job in the outdoor industry once the military career's all wrapped up. So what made you kind of want to get into the uh, outdoor industry per se? Um, the people, really. I mean, the people and then, I mean, so this is this is something I struggle with. It might be a little bit too deep for the, the beginning, but whatever. We'll go there anyways. <laughs> like, um, I wanted to figure out a way to to may you know be quote unquote relevant in the outdoor industry without being like an influencer like making videos and talking to my phone all the time so that's that's really what drove me to start writing and writing i've quickly learned that editors are more likely to buy your articles if you have quality photos to go with those articles so um that's where the camera came in uh but as far as working in the outdoor industry it's just it's what i'm passionate about um that's what I like to do. So why not try to figure out a way to, to make it my job after the army, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, that's cool that, you know, try and pursue something that you like outside of the military is, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, so let's talk about, I kind of got my interest peaked a little bit here as far as the photography. So how'd you end up, I mean, obviously the articles and everything, um, got you into the whole photography thing, but, so, I mean, did you ever snap pictures before? Were you ever a photographer before that? Or? No, no, not at all. I, uh, in fact, I can remember listening to to Aaron Snyder talk about photography on Kafaru Cats back in like, uh, I want to say it's like 2016, 2017. I can remember him talking about photography and thinking that's gay. I'm not going to do that. Like, that's not my thing. <laughs> photography. Yeah. Who does photography? You know what I mean? Dude. Um, but. I... <laughs> I can relate to that. I thought kind of not, not exactly the same thing, but I was like, I don't need a camera. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. And then now it's kind of at the point where it's like, if I do want to start writing articles or actually start keeping up with my website and doing more things on my website, it's like, if you don't have your original content, your own stuff or documenting the things that you're doing or using advice that somebody gave you to go and pursue these different things or find different plants and do all these things, it's like, what's the point, right? So I totally get that. But let's get into like, what resources did you use for like the photography and um, what kind of references and things like that were you, I mean, where do you even start? So for me, I, I kind of went with the status quo of what a lot of guys were doing in the outdoor industry because I figured I wanted a camera that could take decent photos, but also potentially shoot some video. Um, so for me, it, it was I picked out a general camera I wanted. Right. And then once I figured out, I started looking for them used, used camera body and a used lens. Um, once I found one, I decided that I had this super awesome ar10 that sat underneath my bed for the last five years right it's a super cool gun to pull out and show my buddies but um it wasn't doing much for me and it sure as crap wasn't being shot nobody so, likes the safe um, <laughs> yeah so so i was like man i don't want to let this ar10 go but i was like screw it so i sold this ar10 to finance sold it for like 2400 bucks so i could buy a used camera and lens um so, so that's how I started kind of picking out the camera I wanted. And I really, I chose the camera based on what everybody else was shooting. So I picked a Sony a7 III, read a bunch of reviews on it. It's a decent camera for photo, decent camera for video. It's kind of good middle of the road. It's not the, the R series or, or any of the better Sonys that are out there, but it's a, it's a good all around camera to kind of get you started. If you're, if you're really planning to take it seriously, right. There's some cheaper cameras out there too, that you can take phenomenal photos with. But, um, so that's where it was for me. I started with that. And then as far as photography, then I went back and listened to all those podcasts Snyder had talking about photography, right. <laughs> Cause I'd listened to him and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that skip. So then I went back and listened to all those. And then, you know, just started YouTube, obviously just like everybody else, a ton of knowledge on youtube it's not all correct and it's not all great but uh, you can find some pretty good information on youtube and i just kind of went from there and just 
bunch of trial and error to kind of learn the camera and figure it out. So with with that, like, I mean, are you talking like functions of the camera and all that kind of stuff? I mean, my camera's got more buttons on it than I even know what the heck they are. Yeah, exactly. So learning the the functions, like one of the big things I rely on YouTube for is like setting up my menus and my custom buttons, but learning like what, um, cause when I first started, I had no clue what I was doing, but learning like what your F-stop does. So you change your F-stop and that's obviously your F-stop's going to change. The lower your F-stop, you're going to have more blur in the background, right? Less depth of field. Um, you get that real like what everyone thinks of as good photography picture. And then the higher your F-stop, the sharper your image is going to be further out, right? So learning about like how F-stop affects the photo and then how um, ISO affects the photo and then learning like the what your camera can handle too, as far as like the ISO, like how high can I bump up the ISO before these photos are going to come out real grainy or, or noisy. Um, so, so what is the ISO that's like the... So ISO is the, I don't know what it stands for, but <laughs> it's basically, it's basically how sensitive your sensor is to light, right? Okay. So if you increase your F-stop, um, your F-stop, obviously that's your aperture, right? It closes down your aperture, which makes your, which is letting less light in, right? Same thing with your um, shutter speed. So that's like the big, that's the exposure triangle. So you got shutter speed your f-stop and then your iso right and all three of them all three of them compensate for light but with iso it's more about the light sensitivity of your sensor so you bump the iso up higher to let more light in but as you do that um it's digital right so it gets noisy and kind of grainy um hmm. but like but but there's certain shots right like if i if it's a low light like sun's going down and i'm trying to take a picture of uh you know bird in flight then i have to have a super high uh shutter speed right because birds fly pretty quick i've got to have a super high shutter speed and then depending on how good my camera is at focusing i might have to to have a fairly high um f-stop so if it's starting the sun's starting to go down it's not quite as bright out and i'm trying to get that shot then really the only way I can get it so it's brighter is to bump the ISO up, if that makes sense. It does. That's pretty cool because I've, yeah. I've often wondered about that and never actually actually knew how to change all that stuff. So that's pretty cool. Um, so then, like, what did you do for lenses? I mean, did you start out with one lens, like, with the camera, yeah. or did you buy a whole set? So I started out with one lens and now I have three and I don't love any of the three of them. There's a ton of lenses I want that I, uh, that I can't quite afford. But, um, um, I started out with the lens that came with it. It was a Tamron 24 to 70, right? So it's a cheaper, it's a cheaper zoom lens, but it, the F-stop goes down to F 2.8. So I can get that good depth of field. And then being a zoom or going from 24 to 70 or, uh, might actually be it's a 28 to 75 right i can get i had a little bit more play and i thought i felt like that was a good lens for me to learn on versus being stuck with like just a 50 millimeter prime where it's that one focal length and the only way you can zoom is with your feet it gave me a little bit gave me a little bit more um what's the word i'm looking for it gave me a little bit more creative freedom i think yeah. so um but but then they're like I think Aaron, Aaron Snyder's a big proponent of guys learning with a prime and using their feet as their zoom. Um, because then it, then they're, as they're moving closer to the subject or further away from the subject, they might see different angles or, or pick, find a completely different shot, in the same shot. But, um, but that's what I went with and it got the job done for me. I mean, it was a good, like a 24 to 70 or, or 28 to 75, that's a good, pretty good starter lens because it gives you a pretty wide focal range to work with. So you wouldn't say like somebody should get like a 20 to 120 or something like that, or is that? Um, yeah, so if you're getting a 20 to 120, something with that big of a, something with that big of a uh, uh, zoom or, or focal gap, then um, you're probably going to get stuck with a variable power f-stop at a minimum. So that means as you zoom, your f-stop automatically goes up, which can kind of be a pain in the, the butt for hmm. photography. Whereas like all of my lenses, 
the more money you spend on a lens, the, 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 the you get what you pay for with glass, right? It's like buying a pair of Vortex binos versus a pair of Swarovskis. <laughs> um, it, you get what you pay for, but, but, uh, um, so there, but like the variable f stop. So when there's a big zoom range, like I think Sony makes a, uh, I think they make one that goes from 24 millimeters all the way up to like 200 something millimeters. Whoa, that's, that's a cool <laughs> lens. It's a cool lens, but when you zoom into that 200, that f stop automatically goes up. Okay. Um, and then you got things. Some some won't have quite as like the one you just named, like a 24 to 105 the probably the best f stop you're going to get out of a 21 24 to 105 would be like a f4 which isn't terrible but if depending on what kind of photography you're doing um you might not get that nice blown out background and, and bokeh that that a lot of people like to see so it's interesting never really knew much about that <laughs> so that's yeah. pretty cool it's one thing that i got to learn about but there's so much other stuff i'm trying to focus on right now i think the oh the camera is gonna be yeah i mean between uh, elk season right around the corner and me trying to figure out um you know trying to do all my e-scouting and all that kind of stuff and then uh you know trying to educate myself on other stuff and man it's crazy it's i mean it's it's hard to keep up with all the knowledge. Oh, I dude, I, yeah, I feel you. <laughs> I have all the irons on the fire yeah. at all times. So, so. Um, we're, what kind of hunting are you going to do this year, then? Are you going to be uh, Colorado so, over the counter? Or? Yeah, so this year um, I put in for one. I basically only put in for a, a fit or fourth season deer tag. Um, that was the only tag I put in for. I didn't draw it, so I'm going to. But I'm I'm gonna stick to Colorado this year. I just got back out here in February, so I'm still getting settled into the new job and, and getting stuff figured out. So I think the plan is I'm gonna do over the counter antelope archery, uh, over the counter elk, and then hopefully I'll get uh, a tag, a mule deer tag for the the secondary draw that comes out. But um, so yeah, everything's gonna be in Colorado. I, I'm gonna probably shoot up to Nebraska to do some mule deer hunting. And then maybe potentially go with Aaron down to Texas to, to kill a pile of whitetails. <laughs> That'd be <laughs> pretty cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Illinois got quite a few of them. Uh, they do. They got some big ones too. Little pricier, but uh, little pricier, if you ever yeah. out my way, man, you can totally come out. Um, but uh, so let's kind of get into the hunting thing. How, how did you end up first getting started hunting and, you know, kind of walk me through that a little bit where you pick up a bow and decide you want to do that or how did, how did it all fall in place for you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in rural upstate New York. So I grew up, you know, hunting and fishing is just something everybody did up there, but I never, I wasn't really passionate about it. Right. Like I was, especially once I hit high school, I was more worried about partying and, and chasing girls than I was <laughs> freezing my butt off in a tree stand. Um, yeah. Um, so but joined the army at the ripe old age of 17 going on 18. Uh, and then I wasn't able to do it for, let's see, by the first, I want to say six to eight years of my career, I wasn't able to do it. I just didn't have time. It's hard to, it's hard being active duty, you move every two to three years. And then when you're, so it's hard to meet people. It's hard to, to find places to hunt, you name it. There's a ton of reasons why it's tough doing it while you're active duty. Um, but, Got stationed down at Fort Benning, Georgia, which has probably one of the best hunting programs on a military base. It has the best I've seen on a military base. And um, so I picked it up there and, and started rifle hunting on George on Fort Benning with a couple of buddies. And then I was like, well, this is this is cool, but like my this doesn't really get my blood pumping. Right. <laughs> so. So I grabbed a bow. And the other reason I picked up a bow was to kind of lengthen my season because in Georgia, if you bow hunt, you can, you can hunt for dang near six, seven months of the year, right? Holy like it cow. opens in, se yeah. oh yeah, deer season <laughs> opens in September and it doesn't close until mid January. So it's, it's, it's a long season. Um, so that, that's kind of how I picked up the bow. And then I immediately fell in love with the challenge of, of getting close and, and the frustration and all the stuff that comes with bow hunting, right? Cause they got to. You, everything when you're bow hunting everything has to go right and only one thing has to go wrong to screw you up right and um so i fell in love with that and then 
yeah and that's kind of how the bow hunting bug i got bit by the bow hunting bug and then i decided i wanted to elk hunt so i got stationed out here into the next time so i mean were you were you pulling for uh, a station out in uh, colorado so you could elk hunt or what is that like yeah yep so that i was fort carson's got a unit that that has people that do my job in it so i uh i asked to go to fort carson when i was done being a drill sergeant at fort benning and uh was lucky enough to get it i had to call a bunch of time a bunch of different times to get it was lucky enough to get it got here deployed two months after i got here so i didn't get to elk hunt the first season i was here and then the second season came back and, and got to hunt and managed to kill a bull on the very last day the very last 10 minutes of light of the the hunt that i had planned so <laughs> The stars kind of aligned for me. So, so let's kind of, let's break that down and get into that. Cause I think that's pretty cool that you did that. So your first ever elk hunt and stationed in Colorado and you ended up making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, never elk hunted before. How'd you kind of dial it in? Was it like, you know, day to day you kind of saw, you know, herds and kind of kept tabs on them? Or was it you were actually, you know, looking at different units to try and go hunt and, and figure them out and pattern them? Or what what were you doing? So we hunted, well, uh, we hunted an over-the-counter unit. And I'd made friends with a guy that was up on the mountain with us. He was a local guy. Well, closer to a local guy than me. He hunted up there probably for the last 10, 15 years. Um, so I kind of, I hunted around with him for a little bit and kind of saw how he did it. and then I kind of took and put my own spin on it. Really for me, there wasn't, we were in the timber. So every elk I've killed in September has been around, uh, I want to say between like 10 and 8,000 feet. I haven't, I'm not up in the high country killing them. I mean, I am in the, I'm in the timber when we kill them. Um, so for me, every, and every, all three of the bulls that I've killed have, have been, called in in one way shape or form either cow calling or bugling um um and i'll I'll tell you people get mad but i swear having a good understanding of hunting wild turkeys is did wonders for my elk calling game because it's the same essentially the same thing people get mad about it but it's essentially the same thing you you rip a bugle you locate a bull you take its temperature just like a freaking tom right yeah and then you figure out what then you got to figure out the right calls to make to get them to come in i was just talking about that with dirk durham like uh, a couple weeks ago we were talking about that and i was asking him you know kind of sequences scenarios and stuff like that and then i said you know being from the midwest i'm not uh not the old bugler like you are you know but i mean do some turkey hunting and some calling and and uh you know, I mean, how does that relate to, and he's like, actually, I think, I think that relates a lot. He goes, you get a lot of guys from the Midwest that are actually pretty good callers and they don't even know it yet. So I, I could totally relate to that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, um, but I would say the other thing is, is stay in power to stay on the mountain. Like I stayed on the mountain for, I'm, when I say on the mountain, I mean, I drove my truck down to town to get food and I hunted from the truck. I hunted from the truck that season my first season we were hunting from the trucks we were camping at the truck every night but um i mean just being able to stay out there and stay in the dirt and stay in it is is huge for because if you get discouraged and roll out then you're probably uh you're you're not gonna you're not getting any experiences in your vehicle while you're driving home you know what i mean quitter ain't gonna win it that's for sure no that's for sure and uh it's kind of funny you say that my my hunting buddy the first time we went out i thought he had you know a little more outdoor experience than he had and it was like day two and he's like man i don't know how much longer i could do this i'm like dude we're truck camping we're not even we're not even uh you know out there backpacking or anything i was like what what made you think you could do this or you know you didn't know and i i just uh that was discouraging to me just because i knew he wasn't going to be able to do it and uh, Yeah, yeah you know but like a game plan trying to have like a somewhat of a hunt plan um you know i've come up with a whole bunch of different things talked to a lot of people about trying to figure that kind of stuff out and uh pretty confident this year as far as you know going out there and and uh hopefully having some success 
Um, Where are you going? Colorado. Are you coming out? Yeah. Nice. Good for yeah. you. So, uh, you know, that's kind of kind of my game plan, and uh, that way hopefully it won't get discouraged. And I made him do a lot more camping and uh, outdoor stuff and trying to rough it as much as possible. And I think gear was – Oh, so you're, bring, you're bringing the same guy? I'm bringing him again. Oh, man. But, uh, but he uh, – He's done a lot since then. I'll give him that. I mean, it's been almost yeah. three years. So I, I've made sure and I've made him. I think the biggest thing was his failure point was his gear. Um, every time I told him something, he kind of just didn't want to listen or went a cheaper route or bought something different. And uh, I told him, you don't have to have the lightest weight stuff, but you want something that's going to gonna be able to help you, you know, rain gear, whatever. And uh, he, he froze his ass off quite a few nights. So... He, no. he was he was pretty miserable, but he upgraded. I told him get a better bag, get a better mat, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and and I think hopefully that helped. And I know he's done a lot of camping and stuff since then, so yeah, he should be ready. Hopefully, I mean, he was ready as hopefully. far as being on the mountain, but uh, I think it was just like in, in the hunting moment he was okay. It was just being out there you know it's the challenge of you know pushing yourself those limits and those long nights and everything else that yeah. uh that wears on you but hopefully it all <laughs> it all works out this time around man um so what kind of you you went and you you were successful the first year i mean and then you just kind of did the same tactics year after year where you kind of what'd you pick up and hone your skills with so so my first year i didn't i didn't do a lot of bugling i was really uh really timid with the bugle tube so it was mostly cow calling that i did the first year um and my the second year i started bugling to locate them right doing just a real high not aggressive bugle to just try to get one to fire off just like a crow calling a turkey you know and um and then once we'd get him to fire off, kind of take his temperature off that first bugle, whether or not he was how far away he was and, and kind of what kind of mood he was based on how he bugled back at us. And then go from there, either bugle at him. Um, so the 2018 season, so my first season out here is 2017. 2018 season, uh, this was the last year before Colorado did the big game restructure. So mm -hmm. they, before the September 2nd start date of, of archery season um a 2018 season we bugled in five bulls in eight days that's, and that's by september and by september 2nd my buddy had killed a 120 inch velvet mule deer i killed a, a five by five that's on my wall over there and he killed a, a four by four by september 2nd so we had all three of those animals on the ground by september 2nd and i i attribute that to the calling and probably a little bit of the the, the little bit of confidence I had in my calling going into the second season, but there's also, um, there's also like a, I haven't figured it out yet. And I don't know that a lot of people have, but there's also, there's also years like that where the elk are fired up early. Right. Yeah. And then there's years where they don't fire up until they don't get hot until like the first rifle season or the end of archery season. So that I think 2018 was definitely one of those years where, I mean, it was just a, a phenomenal year. It was my best hunting year, best hunting trip ever. I mean, we just killed it. And then we went and fished and waited for our meat to get processed. And then we all drove home. <laughs> um, so, but, but then the following, the next year, I mean, it wasn't a bad year, but we, we backpacked in, we didn't stay quite as mobile. And that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand is, you can backpack in to an extent, but we backpacked four miles into this wilderness area and, and you're stuck back there. So you backpack in or you're, you're e-scouting and you plan a spot out and you backpack in there. And then either you get in there and there's no elk in there or you get in there and there's elk in there, but it only takes you, you know, two days before you booger them out of there because your scent's all over the place and everything else. Now you got a four mile hike out with all your crap. Um, so it takes a lot out of you. So I always, I always try to tell guys they're, they're better off for their first couple of seasons. I would tr just truck camp and, you know, carry a, carry a day pack and, and learn, learn as much of the unit or the terrain that you're hunting as you can. Cause that's, an, that's another thing that I think has helped us. 
uh, me and kind of my hunting partners in the area we're hunting, we're hunting a super over, this is all over the counter. None of this yeah. stuff's like, none of this stuff is hard to access land or you don't need points. Um, but every year we go in there, we've got a few, few honey hole spots, right. To hit, but we've got those spots now because we've ventured into other spots. So every year we go in there, we try to go in and check out a different part of the unit or a different area, different basin, whatever. We'll go give that area a shot. We'll give it a solid two to three days. Cause I feel like elk kind of move in a two to three day schedule, especially during the week when there's less pressure. Um, we'll give it a solid two to three days. And then, then we're like, all right, well, we know that there's there, we know they're here or we know they're not here. If they're not there. Then we'll go to one of those fallback plans that one of the areas we're a little bit more, uh, we know a little bit better and we're a little bit more intimate with. So, um, that's something I like to try to do every year is, is kind of hit a new spot. Even if it's in the same unit, um, I like to try to hit a new spot and spend two or three days in there, just trying to, trying to figure it out and see what's in there. So, because then, then that, that opens up my options for the next year and the next year. Now that I live out here, it's a little bit different because I can go, I can go drive out there and do it. But for when I was, you know, driving from Kentucky out here, that was always the plan. We, We would plan an initial push into a newer area or an area we didn't have much experience with. And then if that area sucked, we, we would fall back to these other areas. So again, time, time in the field. Like if you're coming out here for two weeks, spend as much of that two weeks as you can in the field and, and get to know that area. And if that area isn't producing after two to three days and you've got a pretty decent idea of what you're doing and how to elk hunt, go to another area and learn that spot. And then just keep going. Cause the more you, the more, the more ground you cover, and uh, when I say ground, I'm not necessarily saying boot leather, but um, the more ground you cover and the more you learn the, the terrain and the areas that you're hunting, the, the, the more successful you're going to be in the future, right? So, yeah. So when, when you're going and doing this, like, you know, opening a season or say mid-season or whatever, depending on the weather, is that going to determine where you're going to start as far as elevation? So for me, not really, because uh, there's not a lot of the unit I hunt. There's not a lot above tree line. There's a little bit above tree line, but um, I think that that area gets hit pretty hard. And I've had, I've had such good luck getting on these animals in the timber. Um, so weather doesn't really usually play a role in it. I, I kind of follow, I kind of follow a rule that I like to go early rather than later. Yep. Right, because I know. I know the majority of people are listening to, to uh, what's that guy's name? Elk 101 guy there, Corey Jacobson. Yep. They're listening to his little moon and rut prediction, and that's when they're trying to go. <laughs> so I'd rather be in there early. And, and I like to basically, when it comes to Colorado, I basically, when I get there, I start the day before opening day. I backpack in if we're backpacking in. But we get up there and camp, so we're waking up and hunting on opening day. Um, and I basically that from there, the timer starts until muzzleloader season starts. Cause once muzzleloader starts, the pressure gets really intense on those animals and they kind of shut down in the over the counter unit that I'm in. Um, that's kind of exactly my plan was exactly yeah, what, what you yeah. said was get in a day or two before season, get a lay of the land, figure mm-hmm. out exactly where I'm going to set up and then kind of just find them and, and wait for hunting season. Yep. And that's, that's, that's a solid plan. Like I, I am personally a fan of going early. Um, and, and the other thing about going early too, in my mind, and I'm not an elk expert by any means, but the other thing about going early in my mind, I kind of think about the elk rut, just like I think about the whitetail rut, right? The best time to kill a whitetail isn't during peak rut when they're locked down with does. Pre-rut. It's, it's, it's pre-rut. When the bats or groups have broke up, <laughs> they're chasing, they're establishing dominance. They're, they're kind of that, that's the best time. And that's usually what the elk are doing by, by September 2nd. Usually the bulls have broken up or they're starting to break up. Um, and they're starting to gather cows, but they don't, a lot of them won't have herds yet. So they're, I think in common sense says if, if a bull doesn't have a herd and he just broke away from all the other bulls, and he, he's a decent enough bull that he could get himself some cows, he's probably going to come to calling. Um, so that's, that's kind of where, where my head goes to in that. I kind of 
lean back to some my whitetail experience and some of my my whitetail hunting experience for that but um and then and then the other thing is the the pressure right like once muzzle loader opens this year this year was a crazy year we were watching bulls we were watching cows we got snowed on on september 8th i thought for sure after that snow came in the elk were gonna fire up and they didn't we we didn't hear us i didn't hear the first bugle in this area and this area we've been into bulls every single year we've been in there i didn't hear the first bugle until the night before muzzle loader and if I wouldn't have, if I would have been a little patient and stood where I call it, where I bugled to that bull from, he came right to me and bugled, but I kept moving down the road. Um, um, but I didn't hear that first bugle until the, the night before muzzleloader opened. Muzzleloader opened, the Orange Army was everywhere, driving <laughs> four-wheelers in places they weren't supposed to, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and the elk shut down. They were, they were done playing. They probably rolled over a few drainages. Um, so. I yeah. Once so, muzzle loader opens, it starts to suck. So when uh, you didn't hear that first bugle, I mean, did you still? Uh, were you still trying to call him? Or, or oh yeah, yeah, we were. I mean, I the the day after it snowed, we went out. The day after it snowed, we went out and um, we went out and started looking for him. Right, because they're a lot easier to see because there's white on it. It's white ground brown body against the white grounds a lot easier to spot we spotted them they just wouldn't come they wouldn't react to a call wouldn't come to a call he was like a raghorn he's probably a raghorn four by four or five by five and he had a couple cows with him but he wasn't talking but they'd still respond though i mean they were still kind of curious checking it out or nothing no oh, okay no we'd cow call we'd bugle they'd just keep doing what they were doing so then at that point, you almost just need to spot and stalk them and try and put yourself in between mm -hmm. them. And I mean, is that kind of the plan then? Well, that was kind of our plan, but we didn't want to booger them out because we, we had them pretty well dialed in the drainage that they were in, but we just couldn't really figure out a way to get in there with the wind and kind of set up an ambush on them. And it was so, it was, even though we got snowed on for two days on September 8th, um, it was crunchy out there. It was, I mean, everything was on fire. There was a fire to the north of us, huge fire. Um, and that, that might be, I, I think I heard somebody talking about it. They said that the elk, they think the elk were less likely to uh, kind of bugle and, and make noise and call because their sense of smell was a little bit jacked up. Interesting. I've never heard anything like that before. So that's kind of something to keep in mind, I guess, right? If you're, uh, yeah, hunting near a bunch of burns or something like that, they might not be responsive to audio, but you know, you just try and put yourself on them then. Um, so, so you didn't? Did you get on a bull then, or you didn't get on a bull? If if so, the uh, the initial part of last season, we were we were on a bull. We just couldn't get close enough to him to to get a shot off, and I had two guys hunting with traditional bows, um, so. I was primarily calling and carrying my camera around most of that hunt. And then, um, uh, cause I wanted, I've, I've killed a couple of elk. These guys hadn't, I'd much rather record one of them killing their first bull with a stick bow than, than me kill another one with a compound. So, um, but we were, we were on them. I mean, I called in that bull that last night that, that we were out there. Uh, I called that bull. He, he came in, he was fired up, but, um, mistake on my part because i got add and can't hold still and i didn't want to sit and wait it's <laughs> like ah bull's not coming let's keep working down i think i heard another bugle down the drainage so we kept going down we went like 50 yards away and that bull bugle right sounded like right from where i was standing oh man when i when i bugled to him and that that'll happen that would make my heart sink though i think oh. just knowing that especially coming from all the way out here in illinois you know like yeah. making it all the way, all the way out there. My biggest problem last time was, is, I mean, I couldn't even get on them. Couldn't, mm -hmm. couldn't, couldn't find them to get on them, you know? So it was like, if I had that opportunity now after, you know, being on them or something, that, that would be like the ultimate learning factor, I think, to try and, uh, you know, really make you reevaluate. Well, again, but again, man, yeah. it's just like turkey hunting, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> sure, you've been set up on a tom and, think ah oh, screw it he's not coming you get up and try to move and then you hear that sucker gobble from that 
basically the tree you were sitting against, you yeah. know? So <laughs> I've had them come just, in right behind it, me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So no, I it's get not it. too, too different, but, but yeah, last year was a struggle. And then, so my two buddies bailed on me shortly after it snowed. Uh, they all decided that that, I mean, it was just rough. So they, they decided that they would go get back to work. I still had a week, week and a half of leave. I hit Aaron up and was like, Hey, how's it going out there? And he's like, ah, well, his, his partner had to, he couldn't feel his feet after the snow. And, and so he bailed out and Aaron's like, well, you want to just come call for me? And I was like, yeah, let's go. So I went out there and called for him and we were, I mean, we were on elk every freaking day of the five days that I was out there, we were into them, but just couldn't get, and it was weird. They were bugling, but we just couldn't get the, there was one bull that was about three on, he was like a 360, 370 inch bull. We just could not get that bull to cooperate. So yeah, and that's the bull he wanted. Um, Man. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, we tried, we tried everything on that bull too. I mean, we would get up, super early every morning we're like all right we got to be below this bowl and every time we would drop lower and lower and lower every morning we drop low and try to get below this bowl and somehow he would be below us when we'd get on him in the morning so i wonder if it was just like a instinctual thing that he was trying to change his routines you know just based I don't on know. habit or if it was uh was something that he was sensing in the area or I don't know. Again, it could have been our scent because I think so. We were on them real consistently for four days, and then that fifth day it kind of petered out. But we'd been, I mean, we'd been coyoting the whole herd for the last four days. So interesting. Um, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, was you shoot a lot of 3D lately. Is that like something you always did, or was that just kind of? As um, so, uh, now nah, when I was in Kentucky, I shot an indoor 3d league. Um, and I am not a competitive 3d shooter by any means. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the, the story on <laughs> I see my G stories. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm not a competitive 3d shooter by, by any means. I would shoot an indoor league at the local archery club in Kentucky that, that I belong to. Um, but it's a really good way to, to practice shooting animals. Right. So, and that's what I mean. If I was trying to be competitive, I wouldn't be shooting an 80 pound compound bow for 3d. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so why'd you pick up the 80 pounder so you could shoot uh, uh, heavier arrows faster or what's the principle behind that? Yeah. So I, I got hooked up with PSE this year cause they're, they're partners with black rifle coffee and their bows. I've been shooting Hoyt. And I know PSC's bows are generally slower than Hoyt. And I was shooting a 527 grain arrow last year. So I wanted to stay with a heavy arrow and, and kind of keep it fast. And I've got a short draw length. My draw length is only 26 and a half, 27 inches, depending on the axle to axle length. So um, kind of just trying to find that happy medium between, you know, good penetration on an animal and good speed and pin gaps that I'm comfortable with. So. So what's your that's speed, why I then? The 80 uh I think it's around 280. And I think the arrows are weighing around 450 to 470. I haven't I just built these arrows. I mean, I built these arrows last week too. Okay. So I built these arrows the, the same day I went and shot a 3D tournament with my buddy Trevin in Fort Collins and then rebuilt some more arrows and then went and shot with Luke and Aaron. So um yeah, so I, I'm these air this this setup's completely new to me. I mean, I I sighted the bow in at Aaron's house the night before we went out shooting. Me, <laughs> me and Amy drinking three bottles of wine didn't help my uh, didn't help my score at all. But nice. So, uh, uh, I mean, would you shoot heavier um, arrows for your elk than your target like that, or is that pretty much going to be your your elk setup? Oh no, yeah, that that's my this is my hunting setup. So again, I'm not. I don't have the time, right? It's like you, you don't have the time to learn how to, to run a camera and, and figure <laughs> all that out. Same thing for me. I don't have the time to set up a target bow and a hunting bow and mess around with them both. So I'd much rather just be out there with my hunting setup and getting comfortable with that. Cause if I, if I'm doing all right, shooting my hunting setup with Aaron and, and Luke talking 
smack behind me the whole time. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to do it when the moment of truth's there. So yeah, uh, that's that's my hunting setup. So these these are the arrows I'm going to hunt with. That's the bow I'm hunting with. The only thing I might change is my sight if uh, if the new one that I'm supposed to be coming in gets in, but I don't know if it's going to come in. So this, this is probably my hunting setup. So what kind of FOC are you getting on those arrows then? Oh, I know. I'm not really sure. Um, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to FOC. I'm just more how the arrow flies, but I think I've got 20, 30, so 50. So I think I'm shooting like, let me think. 10%, so I, 15%. Uh, uh, it's probably between 10 and well, 10 and 15. It's definitely not over 15. What kind of weight do you got on the front end of that thing then? Like- uh, I'm shooting a 125 grain head, and then I've got a 30, 30 grain brass uh, weight screwed on the back of the outsert. So, and I think the outsert's like 26 grains. Interesting. So, okay. That's pretty Now cool. the last, the last bow I was shooting though, um, I was shooting the black Eagle deep impacts with their front of center outsert system. So I was shooting 200 and 225 grains on the front, but cause my draw length's so short, I'm shooting freaking crossbow bolts right yeah so the the foc i I was only at like 15 16 percent foc so it wasn't wasn't still wasn't outrageous even though i had a lot of weight up front just so do you ever like over spine your arrows and just like leave them long so they Um, still spined you know decent yeah i left these ones long actually i left them a little bit long um and that's just in case that's just in case i wanted to cut them down a little bit more for tuning yeah but um no i mean i don't really get too crazy with it as long as that bow's tuned and it's shooting the only thing i care about is is if the bow's shooting good and i'm confident with it especially with broadheads like i i haven't been shooting broadheads as of late but probably the entire month of august every time i go to the range i'm going to be shooting broadheads yeah you know do you knock two arrows uh i will i do a four fletch so um Definitely once I start shooting broadheads, if they're grouping a little funny, I'll I'll kinda I'll twist it to one of the four different positions between my my four different right. veins. No, that's pretty good. That's uh something I was doing and then I actually just switched to a different set of arrows and now I don't have to. <laughs> I mean they, yeah. there is no no noticeable difference at all. And I'm kinda glad because to me, knock tuning is such a pain in the butt to try and uh, oh yeah to try and do all that. Um, all tuning is a pain in the butt for me. <laughs> you you got to have well, a thousand. Yeah. You got to have a thousand dollar bow press. You got to. It's yeah. a huge pain in the neck. So once I find, <laughs> once I get it shooting just right, like I leave it alone and I try to keep everything as close to factory as possible and down the center of the pipe. And yeah, that's I, <laughs> I got a HHA site. Um, that I was going to swap over to it. And, uh, I, man, I don't even know if I, uh, I want to do that or not. <laughs> Cause it just seems like a pain in the butt trying to figure it out, especially mm-hmm. the other one, the sight tape wouldn't work because my chrono speed on my arrow, cause my arrows are kind of heavier. So my speed was lower than, uh, the speed that they got even on the sight tapes everybody must be yeah. shooting like a 400 grain arrow or something i'm at like six yeah. six fifteen or something like that so it's like i'd have oh, to shit. make my yeah, own sight tape. Arrow. so um it's kind of like man i don't know and i think they've got one on the other one because you got to figure out your drop based on your 20 and 40 or something like that there's a calculation mm. you do but i don't know man it looks like a pain in the butt to try and get it all figured out and get it on there. yeah you could do it with you could do it with archer's advantage is a good program that does it when I got a buddy that uses that pretty religiously and makes sight tapes with it. That's what I think my buddy did. He did, uh, and he printed it out and put a piece of tape over it or something like that. Mm-hmm. He was done with yeah. That. No, that's pretty Print cool. it, cut it, double-sided tape, and then put a piece of tape over that double-sided tape, and you're good to go. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, you, are you still doing stuff for Black Rifle Coffee then, or is it just something? Yeah, that- he- Yep, I'm still writing for him. I mean, I, so I'm a freelance writer for him. I'm not a, a paid writer. Hopefully, uh, like a, a staff writer is what they're called. They're staff writers that are they're full-time guys. But with the Army, I just don't have the time to to do it all the time. So, uh, but 
yeah, I mean, I still write for him. I did a huge bino harness review last year for him. This year, I think we're going to do a pretty cool test. I can't really talk about it because then people will take the idea, but we're going to do a pretty cool test in July, and that article should be out in August. Um, <laughs> just in time for is, elk season. Is so. the article caffeine intake versus uh, accuracy? No, 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 it's not. <laughs> no, That'd be that would be a good one, though. Yeah. <laughs> do a big coffee tasting and then uh, yeah. a cupping and see how it does. Mm-hmm. Um. So, no, that's cool, man. I appreciate you coming on and uh, BSing with me and talking to me and kind of giving me some pointers and stuff before season. So that's pretty cool. Um, if anybody's listening and they want to kind of find you and maybe get in touch with you or read some of your work, what what can they do and how can they find you, man? Uh, so, I mean, they can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Mike Hearn. Super, super easy. I think I'm the only one on there. Um, and then if they want to see any any of my articles that I've done, uh, they just go to freerangeamerican.com and, and um, they can, I think they might be able to search me or just Google Mike Hearn slash freerangeamerican and, and it'll probably pop up in the Google machine. And then if they want to watch you take money from Luke, they could just probably watch your uh, Instagram stories. this summer. Yeah, watch my Instagram or watch <laughs> Aaron's Instagram. We'll be out at best of the best. I'm going to have a little bit more time with this setup before best of the best, but we'll see how my partner does at best of the best. It's going to be interesting. So one of my elk hunting partners is going to actually fly out and, and shoot best of the best with me as my partner. He said he's been practicing, but we'll see. <laughs> All right, I man. don't really give a shit as long as my <laughs> compounds, as long as my compound scores better than Luke's. I'm there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for uh, talking to us. And uh, yeah, dude. One. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Publicly Challenged podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to. Also, if you could leave a review, that would help us out. And you can check us out on Instagram or at publiclychallenged.com. And once again, thank you so much for listening to the show. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish this is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here from the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters enjoy the best fishing panama city beach has to offer during chasing the sun sundays at 9 30 a.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment a life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm the there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.